The following audio is from Crossroads Church, a church in Lincoln, Nebraska, centered around building genuine community through authentic faith. More info can be found at lincolncrossroads.com. Amen. Amen. I'm curious. I'm curious before we get started. How many of you can just like clearly say that you have a hobby? Let me, let me, let me see how many hobbyers we have. Let me see, let me see those hands. Okay, we got a bunch of, good. I'm like, I, I, that, that does my heart good because I believe that one of the things that we as adults don't do enough is have hobbies, right? Like so often it's like, oh, we don't have time for, okay, anyway, but th- I'm not gonna get into all of that, but I'm glad that you have hobbies. I have a hobby too. Anybody have a hobby in something that other people would call a profession? Do you know what I mean? Like maybe I, I'm a hobby, like I'm a, a pool, I play pool, right? And you're super good at it. But there's somebody, that are professional pool players and they would just work you every single day, right? Like maybe you're a woodworker, I you hobby in woodworking and there are professional woodworkers that like you just don't, right? Well, my hobby is disc golf. And uh, you asked for it, now you're gonna, oh boy. All right. Um, <clears throat> uh, my hobby is disc golf. I do genuinely love disc golf. I know I've made a few references about that. It is my hobby. This last week, I had the opportunity to go play in a super big uh, disc golf tournament, literally playing against the best uh, competitors in the world. Like I just barely just squeezed into the tournament. They let me in. And um, <clears throat> now here's the thing. I did, I did really well. I came in 98th. And you're like, oh, is that pretty good? There were only 120 people competing, okay? So... But t- truthfully, yes, yes, it was good for me. Um, here's, here's what I've come to re- re- recognize. I, I can look at that and be like, I just wish I would have done better. Like, but here's the thing. I've come to realize that I am never going to be able to compete in disc golf like consistently with those who've made c- disc golf their lifestyle. I am confident that I could be a better disc golfer confident. But there's a few things that stand in my way. And it's not willpower. It's not a desire to improve. It's not discipline. It's a job. That's what makes it, that's what makes it hard. If I were to quit my job and play disc golf all day, every day, I would be better at it. But it's not really worth it to me. <laughs> okay. If I were to just like say, hey, Beth, I'm leaving for the next eight weeks to go be on the disc golf professional tour. I guess I bet most of you didn't know that was a thing, did you? All right. If, if I were to do that, I would be a better disc golfer. Like, just like you and your hobby, right? If it's woodworking, if you were to quit your job, if you were to do that and, and focus on that 40, 60, 80 hours a week, if you were to spend all your time in your hobby, you would shift your hobby to a lifestyle and you would pr- improve pretty significantly, wouldn't you? Um, but here's the thing. I'm okay with where I am. Now, when, when I play in tournaments and stuff like that locally, it, I, that's really fun because then I get to compete. Maybe, maybe if I do real well, I could win and, and all those types of stuff. That's fun because I'm competing against other people whose disc golf is a hobby. But when I, I travel and go to these big, big tour event kind of things, like there's no way. I, I, now, there's, I, on the first round, I tied somebody who, again, in the disc golf world is really, really good. And I'm like, yeah but I played good and he played lousy <laughs> and we tied, but I can feel good about that because I did something that this other guy did, but he just was just really bad that day. <clears throat> but I will never consistently be able to keep up with those who've made disc golf their lifestyle. Because for me, it's a hobby. So let me ask you this question. 
Let me Jesus juke you for a minute. Is, is following Jesus your hobby or your lifestyle? You see, because if, if following Jesus is a part-time hobby, you're going to constantly run into things, challenges, that you are frustrated that you did not, for lack of better terms, compete as well as you feel like you should have. You will never be able to compete consistently in this spiritual life. Not that you're competing against one another, but against life itself. As long as following Jesus is, remains your hobby. Christ has not called us to make him our hobby, but to make him our lifestyle. You see the difference? And so what we're going to do, we're going to continue in, in, in our series of, of talking about these, these ancient paths in Jeremiah chapter 6. And we're going to continue to talk about like, what does that mean? That, that's really philosophical and it can just like feel like truth bomb. Ah, yeah. But what in the world does making Jesus your lifestyle versus your hobby actually mean? So let's go back to our, our, our text. Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 16. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a step back for just a moment and, and, uh, and recap a little bit. Just a reminder where we were last week. We, we looked at some of the action statements in that verse, right? We said stand at the crossroads. We come to that, that crossroads, that, that point of decision, that, that, that place where, where, where things come to a head. We got to make some life decisions. The first thing he tells us to do is look, evaluate. What are we looking for? We're looking at where we are. We're looking at what the options are in front of us. We have to assess where we're at. And then he says, ask, ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is. Listen, sometimes we just need a little bit of help. Sometimes we look up and we're honest. We're like, man, I'm not, I, I may not be exactly where I want to be in my Christian life or in my life or whatever. And we think we can just do it on our own. That's why we have, again, we're going to come back to house church. That's why we have house church. That's why community is so important. That's why friendship is critical. That's why we talk about discipleship flows through relationships. We've got to ask one another, how do we do this thing? Ask for the ancient path. Ask where the good way is. And then walk in it. We've got to carry it out. We've got to walk in it. And what does it say the answer is? And you will find rest for your souls. Here's the, the cool thing about this, is that the path, the ancient path and the good way don't lead to rest for your souls, it is rest for your souls. It, 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 it's in walking that path. You ever been on a hike and you're going along and, you, and, and you're just taking in the beauty, right? Sure, when you're done with a hike and on the other end of it and maybe it's hot outside and you get, you get back to, to wherever you're staying, your house or, or wherever you're at and, and you sit down with a, with a cup of lemonade and an air condition, that feels nice, that feels like rest. But how many know the walk is where the true joy was found? It's taking in the beauty. It's on the journey that we find this, this rest and this refreshment. See, and that's where I think as Christians, sometimes we get this all confused. We think I'm going to live my Christian life so I can get to this end destination of heaven, whether Christ returns or I die and go to heaven one way or other. After this life, then I'm going to find this eternal rest. Jesus said, no, 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 no. There's rest on the journey. If you find this ancient path, 
If you walk this good way, there is rest and refreshment as we go. So, so I challenged us, I was thinking about this this week, I, I challenged us to, to look, to really, to really look. Look at our own lives, look at when we come to a place of decision, and, and here's where I think some of the crossroads happens. There's a lot of different, probably, applications we could talk about this, but th- th- this crossroads here, when biblical truth and my, the reality I'm living intersect. How many know that sometimes biblical truth and my own reality, I'm not saying like we all have our own reality, but you know what I mean, like my life, they don't always line up side by side. Sometimes biblical reality and the life I'm living collide. And at that point, we need to look. At that point, we need to open our eyes. We need to stand at that crossroads. See, most of us, we just like pretend that it, it, we, just, we just say, well, the Bible, the Bible is just being philosophical. Oh, the Bible is just being theoretical. There are philosophical and theoretical things in the Bible, but for the most part, it's truth for living. And, and so when we come to that crossroads of biblical truth and, and, and the reality of my life, it's time to look. And here's something that, you know, as I was, again, just continuing to meditate on this verse, I think, I realize where we typically look. I'm going to evaluate my own Christian life, okay? And so what do I look at? I'm supposed to look, okay, at the crossroads, whatever that crossroads look like. Where do I look? If, if I look at my spiritual activity, that's where we tend to go, right? I'm going to evaluate my Christian life, my spiritual walk, my walk with Jesus, however you want to define it. I'm going to evaluate that. And I'm going to look, hey, so what am I doing? I'm, I pray, sometimes. And I read my Bible sometimes. And I go to church sometimes. And you know what? Even sometimes I give my money. <laughs> Man, I'm super Christian. All right. And, or maybe, maybe, maybe you're, maybe you're a step beyond that. Maybe you, you, you often pray and often read your Bible and often go to church or often give your money. Or maybe you're even like the next level and you can almost put always like you've got some of these spiritual things down. See, and this is usually what we do. Like we say, okay, I'm doing the things. But if we've come to a, a point, a crossroads, we realize there's this biblical reality, this biblical truth, and then there's the reality of my life. And it comes to a crossroads and I evaluate my activity and I see that I'm already doing things. The natural next place that we go is like, what more do you want? Anybody ever felt that? Yeah? You ever felt that? Like, God, I, like, I, I feel like, I, I feel that, that, like, something's not, like, exactly like Jesus intended. There's, there's something maybe, like, that's not, like, off. It's not, like, maybe it's horrible sin stuff. Maybe it's, it's just, like, this, this internal, like, I don't, I don't think what I'm living is, is the abundant life. I don't, I, I, the, the fruit of the Spirit seems a long ways away. The uh, easy yoke and, and light burden that Jesus talked about doesn't feel like my reality. Then, but, I, but, but I look at my, my activity and all of my activity points to like, I'm doing the things I know how to do. And we find ourselves in a, in, when we look, we get defensive, don't we? What else do you want, God? What if, what if instead of looking at our activity, we looked at our own hearts and, and just humbly asked this question and said, 
Am I where I want to be? Forget the activity for right now. Just, just, just let all the spiritual things that you do just like slip into the background. I, I want to look at our hearts. We come to that crossroads of, of, of biblical scriptural truth and the reality of my life. And if we were to look at our hearts, if we were to do this today, say, am I where I want to be? Am I living the John 10, 10 abundant life that Jesus talked about? Like that's what he said he came, that you'd have the rich and satisfying, full, abundant life. Am I where I want to be? Am I living the love, joy, and peace life that Paul talks about in Galatians 5.22? Are those the, the, the baseline characteristics of your life? Because, because Paul taught that if we're walking that ancient past, if we're walking that good way, if we're walking in alignment with the way of Jesus, that the natural outcome of that life is going to be love, joy, and peace, and so on. Am I living, like, like Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30, am I, am I living the easy yoke and light burden life? Right, in other words, that, that yoke is, is the, the, the life we live, the, the, work, the, the spiritual work that we do, the, the, the life with Christ. Are, are, is that easy for you? Is the burden that you carry in life, is it light? If not, again, this isn't judgment. Or is this just self-assessment? If that's not your life, then you have to ask yourself, like, where am I then, right? Look at my heart. Where am I? Because if it's not there, then that's... Then that's not Jesus' path. Now, let, let me understand. This, that's, not, that's not meant to bring condemnation, okay? I'm not saying that you're not saved. Again, last week we talked about, you know, Jesus says, enter through the narrow gates. That's Jesus and, 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 and that narrow path. This is the, I believe, the path that provides rest for our souls. And sometimes we've come through the gate and it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, but we just kind of lost our way because we, we've not followed through. Because we, we've kind of made Jesus our hobby, like we, we love him and we've come in through him, but we haven't made him our lifestyle where we walk it out on a daily basis. And so what's going to happen, uh, you might love Jesus with all of your heart, but if we don't walk out the life that he walked out, then it's no wonder that there's no rest for our souls. If we don't walk out the life that he walked out, then there's no wonder why joy doesn't bubble out even in the hard times. If, if we don't walk out the life, see, this is what we want to do. We look at the stories in the Bible as event to event, like Jesus's life, event, 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 event. We look at the events, like Jesus, look at the way he handled the opposition. Man, I want to be able to do that. I want to be able to mimic those moments of Jesus. And we, we ask ourselves the question, what would Jesus do? And typically we ask that question about in the crisis moment, in the, in the, in, in other words, it's like this. If you're an athlete and you stepped up to the bat, to, to bat, or maybe you're a kid and you're, you're watching that professional baseball player, your favorite player, and, and you watch that player and, and you, you, you see, you, you mimic everything. You mimic his stance in the batter's box. You, you mimic his mannerisms. You buy the same batting gloves and you make sure you have the same bats, even though it's like way too big and heavy for you, right? You wear the same shoes. You, you wear your pants the same way. You, you do everything identical because he hits it out of the park. It feels like every single time he steps up to the plate. And if I'm going to hit home runs, then I'm going to mimic his behavior in the moment. 
But we all know <laughs> it doesn't work that way, does it? Because we, the goal is not to mimic the moment, but to live the lifestyle. See, we want to, we look at where Jesus like had this confrontation from the Pharisees or people were attacking him or coming out his character and, and in, in love and in joy and in peace. And he just, he just handled it and he just like went with it. And we're like, man, I want to mimic that. I want to do what Jesus did in those moments. But if we don't learn to live his lifestyle, we'll never be able to mimic his moments. Does that make sense? So, Jeremiah said, ask for the ancient past. Ask for the good way. Here's what's interesting. Like we look at the life of Jesus and that is like just that time period we would call ancient. But as Jesus would have read Jeremiah, he would have said Jeremiah's time was ancient. And when Jeremiah was writing to his contemporaries, he was talking about following the ancient ways. This is a long, these ways are old. And what these ways are, they're the ways of God. And when Jesus came in the flesh, he become, I believe, the embodiment of those ancient ways and that good life that Jeremiah is talking about. So, so then we come to today and we go like, so what does it mean to, to ask for the ancient past? Ask where the good way is. See, I believe it's, it's learning how to do more than just ask the question, what would Jesus do every time you step up to the plate? But rather, it's how would Jesus train? You know what I mean? It's what was Jesus doing before the moment? What was the lifestyle that he lived? What were the habits that he would give? I heard somebody talking about this before. Like we read the gospels and we read it from moment to moment to moment. But anytime, normally when you read a biography, you don't always just read the moments. The moments are cool. You're wanting to learn about the lifestyle of a person, aren't you? You know, you, you, you picked up the book because you've heard about the moments. You picked up the book because you heard about their grand achievements. And so often the thing that we're looking for is not, hey, what are more achievements that they accomplished? But rather, what was the lifestyle that they lived? How do I mimic this? And yet so rarely do we ever pick up the gospels and say, I don't want to just read about the highlights. I want to see what happens between the highlights. I want to learn about the habits. I want to learn about what Jesus was doing when no one was watching. I want to learn about what Jesus was doing when the crowds weren't there. Because what he was doing when the crowds weren't there is what gave him power and authority to do what he did when the crowd showed up. In other words, what he did at practice is what made him ready to step up to the plate every time. And so I want to give, I want to give because this is maybe just a little bit different way of, of looking at some things. I want to give a few illustrations because I just, I think better in pictures sometimes. Um, well, actually, let me, let, me read, let me read one more scripture verse. So what we're going to talk about, what I believe these, these ancient paths are, this good way, is what oftentimes people would today refer to as spiritual disciplines. Other people might talk about them as practices of Jesus or uh, spiritual formation or just the simple de description of discipleship. It's the, the actual tangible things that we do with our bodies in the flesh in order to align our hearts and our lives with the kingdom of God. Now, because we live in a, in a season of grace, sometimes we get caught up on this, right? And, and it's understandable. 
because it's a little bit confusing if, 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 if there's not been some clarity explained. But I want, I want just to make sure that we know that we're not going back into legalism. I want you to hear the word of the Apostle Paul. In Hebrews chapter 12, I'm going to read verses uh, 4 through 12. It's kind of a lengthy passage, but I think he, he really hits a point that for us today, living under grace, same as when this was written, that it can shed some insight into maybe, maybe some slightly unhealthy thinking that we've allowed to just be adopted into our norm for our lives. Listen to what, what uh, the author of Hebrews says. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Well, for the most part, I think that's true. That's definitely of me, right? And you've completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. Okay, so this is God the Father speaking to us as his children. It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. Let me, let me uh, make this one clarifying statement here. So discipline can be seen as a couple different ways, right? Discipline can be like you did something wrong, so you have to pay the punishment for that so you can learn not to do that thing again, right? That's one form of discipline. Here's another form of discipline is I'm going to teach my children to make their bed, to clean their rooms, and to practice good personal hygiene. I'm going to instill those disciplines in my children for their own well-being. In other words, I'm going to discipline my children, right? You get that? So discipline can be corrective at times, but discipline can also be proactive, right? So we have these two different kinds of disciplines. And listen to what it, what, what, what it says here in Hebrews. Pick up verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. So let me just ask you, every time you endure something difficult, does that mean God is punishing you? No. Could it mean that? I mean, it could. But should we take it as a way to learn discipline? Yes. When you walk through something that is hard, God is doing something in you to bring you to a greater place of maturity. So often, we, we fight against anything that is hard. We see in Scripture over and over and over and over and over again. They say, allow those hard things to sharpen you and grow you. Life is not going to be easy. So you could fight it or you could allow the hard to do its work in you, that you so that you can become more like Jesus. Do your training and walk in joy through the hardships. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. Think about that. Next time you go through something hard, this is, I love this perspective. Most of us be like, God, why? Right? Let's just be honest. What if every time we go through something hard, we're like, man, that's just a reminder that God loves me and he's bringing me into maturity. What if my kids, every time I said, go clean your room, they're like, man, thanks for that reminder that you're my dad and that you love me. Man, that would bless me. It's never happened. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Well, bratty ones. If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. 
not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and, and, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? See, they discipline us for a little while as they thought best, but, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Wow. So again, whether that's something that is enacted on us, or I believe something that God invites us into, these disciplines, that it is for our good that will lead to our holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Amen. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Listen, there is some key language in here. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. We can all agree with that. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. There's some of us who go through hard thing after hard thing after hard thing after hard thing, and we become harder and harder and harder and harder. And guess what? It will not produce a harvest of righteous and peace. Hard things, we all, we all know this, don't automatically mean that righteousness and peace is going to follow, right? But rather, righteousness and peace will follow by those who allow discipline to train them. Are we paying attention? Therefore, this, I love this verse. Hebrews 12, 12. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. This is interesting. I, I read that. I, I finish on that last verse because remember, we talked about discipline. Some of it is enacted on you. When hardships come, treat it as discipline. And then he says, this is how you walk through that discipline. Therefore, now you go discipline yourself. You go walk in this discipline. You see, when my, my kids are little, I discipline them. Again, corrective and proactive. But at some point, they're going to grow up and and they're going to have to choose which disciplines they engage in con to contribute con so as to continue to grow and mature, right? Like any of us. The same can be said of our spiritual lives. So, but here's, here's, here's kind of the mantra of, of today's age. It's not about religion, it's about relationship, right? Is that true? Yeah, yeah. I think it's a little bit of an, uh, like just a semantic argument when I say it's not religion. Like, listen, like I pray daily. I read my Bible daily. I go to church every week. I go to church multiple times a week. I attend prayer services. I gather in people's home to pray and read. Like anyone by any definition of the word religious would say I'm a very religious person. I'm not offended by that. It's just that my religion is a religion of relationship. Okay. So don't be offended and now don't go correct people who say that either. I, I, don't be silly. All right. It's just a semantic thing. All, all, all I'm saying is like, I live a religious lifestyle. I engage in spiritual disciplines. I engage in spiritual practices. You see, the problem is sometimes we say things like, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. And so then we automatically assume that I don't have to do anything because anything that I do would then become religious. And so I just like coast through this spiritual relationship life. 
doing whatever I want, whenever I want. Tell me one relationship where that works. Where you do whatever you want, whenever you want. Did I say that right? Whatever you want, whenever you want. Let's look at marriage. The closest human relationship that God has created on earth between a husband and a wife, okay? Now let's, let's look at this. There are, I mean, by definition, obviously it's all about relationship. You don't get married so that you can, that you religiously do these certain practices, okay? No, you get married because of relationship. However, there are certain practices that are really healthy in a marriage, you know? Like living together. That's a good, generally good idea if you're married. Does it mean that if you don't live together, you can't be married? No, because there are exceptions. There are work things like military situations. There, there are situations and seasons where you may not live together in the moment. However, if Beth and I each had a house on separate sides of town, just because you don't have to live together in order to be married, that would be weird, right? Okay. You don't have to live together to be married. But if you're married, it's a good idea to, to live together, right? Uh, and so there's this not required, but weird if you don't. And there's a whole bunch of things like that. Share a marriage bed, not required, kind of weird if you don't. Go on dates, not required, really a good idea. How about discussing thoughts, dreams, and emotions, having actual healthy conversation? It's not required, but you should try it sometimes. It's going to help you. It's going to go a long way. Sharing household responsibilities, not required, but like that should be a normal aspect of your, of your life. Or, or if it's applicable, if you got kids, sharing and parenting responsibility. Like these things are practices. They're things that have to be done in order for the relationship to operate at its highest level, right? Most all of us would agree with that. And yet when we say it's not about religion, it's about relationships, so often that phrase is really just justifying me doing nothing that resembles anything, any like actual tangible action of love and interest towards the one I say I live my life for. That doesn't make any sense, does it? So I'm left to believe that if, if, if this this thing that I have, this spiritual life, this religion, this relationship, whatever you want to define it as, it, it's going to take something from me. It's going to require something of me if I want to walk in the fullness of what God intended it to be. But here's the deal. This is where you can't miss it. The goal of all of the spiritual disciplines is oneness right? Kind of like all the practices that I just mentioned in marriage, the, the reason they're a good idea is because they promote oneness. You live together because it promotes oneness. You share a marriage bed because it produces oneness, dates and discussions and conversations and household responsibilities and parenting. You share these things because it promotes oneness. In our relationship with God, we don't practice spiritual disciplines so that we can feel really religious. We engage in these spiritual disciplines because they point us to oneness. The moment that your discipline or your spiritual practice becomes the goal in and of itself, it automatically renders itself useless in developing a deeper spiritual life or connection with God. So oneness is the goal. But here's the thing. So because we live in this, this, uh, this, grace world, which is true. It's all because of the grace of God. It is all about relationship. Um, we, we tend to do this. We, we tend to dismiss any practice that anyone exercises poorly. 
I've referenced this before, but, but it, we do. We dismiss any practice that, that, uh, that anyone exercises poorly. So let me, let me give you another example. Again, I like pictures. So let's say there's this baseball team, okay? This professional baseball team. And you can pick your favorite, whichever one it is, okay? You, this baseball team, they, they decide that every single time, every day at practice, they're gonna take batting practice. Good idea. Every day at practice, they're gonna do batting practice. And this is the goal every single time. At batting practice, they are going to set the pitching machine to 60 miles an hour. And for those of you who don't know baseball, that's like what a good middle schooler will throw, all right? 60 miles an hour, put it right down the middle of the plate. And they're gonna have a competition to see who can hit the most balls over the fence consecutively. That's gonna be the practice every single day, okay? So every single day they get up and they're just taking cracks of this and they're popping them out and the number's getting higher. They're getting so good at hitting nice, like just meatballs right over the plate, just nailing them out of the park. And guess what? Every single week, every single day, there's a winner. Every week there's whoever's got, they're posting their stats and there's just some team camaraderie. Everybody's having a good time developing something that nobody is ever going to need to help win a game. Nobody needs to be able to hit those balls out of the park. No one's ever going to see one in a game. But they feel good about themselves because there's a winner and they're marking their goals and, it's, and they're knocking them out of the park. Let's call that team A. And then team B comes along. Team B sees team A and they're like, oh my goodness, you see those guys? They're a joke. They take batting practice every single day and all they do is just like smack them out of the park, these just softballs over the plate. And man, that is, man, they're never gonna get good. That's never gonna prepare them for, for a game time situation. Man, th- that is the silliest thing ever. I mean, I, do, I don't wanna come anything close to that. I don't wanna do anything that looks like that. In fact, we're never gonna take batting practice because I don't want to get caught up into that. So now team B never takes batting practice. And guess what? Is also never ready for the game. Do you, do you see something going on here? You know, there's some people who fast. They've taken it to these extremes and, and, and it's all about self-deprivation. And if somehow, if I can deprive myself of, of, of all these things that somehow God is gonna love me more, guess what? You've done nothing but just nothing because you're trying to earn God's favor. That's not what that's for. And then the rest of us look at that and be like, oh, I'm not going to do that. Fasting's not for me. And then there's other people, maybe, uh, you know, whatever the discipline might be, there's all these different disciplines. And like, we, we see somebody abuse it, giving, tithing, percentage giving, like, like that. And then there's some people, man, they take it and they buy stupid things. And that's, you know, that, you see that minister, oh, he's on the news again because he was, you know, embezzling money or using money for personal stuff, da, 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 da. So I'm never going to give. And you deprived yourself of, of stepping into what God is doing. Like we see somebody do something to an unhealthy extreme and then we dismiss it. And what we've, we've got here is, is we, this life where we're like, well, being a follower of Jesus doesn't actually require a single thing from me, except I just get to sit back and judge everybody else who are doing a lot of stuff. And I guess I'd just say, how's that working for you? It doesn't provide peace and joy and love and rest and refreshment and purpose and fulfillment. 
Because here's the thing. Um, Paul says to, to young Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, he says, spiritual discipline, he says, for, for, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. I, I, want, you to, I want to draw your attention to something here real quick. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for. I, I want you to notice the imagery that he's using. He's saying physical training is to our physical bodies, like godliness, what he's talking about is the practices that bring about the spiritual maturity and strength that physical training does to our our physical bodies. Does that make sense? Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Holding promise, not just for the, the next life, holding promise for the present life and the life to come. Now, here's, here's something that's interesting. And this is why I believe that, that Jesus really is the embodiment of this ancient uh, path, of the, this good way. You see, the Pharisees, we all know this, the Pharisees were Jesus' like, biggest antagonist, right? Jesus comes and the Pharisees are all this and that. And what were the Pharisees' biggest issues? Legalism and hypocrisy, right? Right? And so, so listen, I want you to pay attention as you're reading through the Gospels because Jesus... I don't want to say never. I think it's never. I'd have to look at it. But he always draws attention to their heart. Nearly never tells them to stop practicing the things they're practicing. Have you ever caught that? Listen, this is Jesus. I mean, the Pharisees are setting the table for Jesus to speak on issues of of, uh, how to interpret spiritual disciplines under the new covenant. The Pharisees are all there. He, this is his chance, right? Wouldn't you think if we weren't supposed to engage in like actual practices to lead us along this path that's going to bring us to life and fulfillment, don't you think that Jesus would have used the Pharisees to illustrate that? But he doesn't say, hey, you Pharisees, quit your tithing. Pharisees, quit reading scripture and being all about Pharisees, quit your memories. Pharisees, you don't have to be praying. No, no. He just continues to point to their heart over and over and over again. In fact, in the fasting thing, he says, listen, or sorry, the tithing thing, he says, you tithe on everything. Don't stop. He says, but you neglect the important things, the heart issues. Do those while you also practice the spiritual discipline of tithing. Jesus, when when he's teaching, uh, he he tells his disciples, he says, when you pray, what does that assume? We're going to pray. He says, when you give, what does that assume? That we're going to give. When you fast, what does that assume? That we're going to fast. Now, there's some of these disciplines that, that are maybe a little bit more common or a little bit more practice. And there's some of these disciplines that, that are maybe not so common and not so practiced. There's some disciplines that I, I, w- I would say that we may not even actually view as disciplines at all. <clears throat> See, but I believe one of the, 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 the tough things is that Jesus was speaking, like, like, you look at the scripture, like, how come we didn't teach more on this? Because this is what they're already doing. This is life. He didn't have to teach you about what to do when you have headaches, when you're fasting because they already knew. <laughs> it was incorporated into the lifestyle that they live. 
He didn't have to teach them to, to, to make sure you, you take time to celebrate God and what he's done in the middle of the busyness of life because it was incorporated into the very essence and the fabric of their society. So there's some of these things that are, are challenging for us. And we gotta, we gotta look for these things. It's not the big event, it's the, the moments between. We gotta look for some of these, these pathways, the in-between, so we can go, God, I, I don't wanna just try to mimic the moments. God, I wanna live your lifestyle because that lifestyle that you live, that lifestyle that he led is leading us to that place of rest for our souls. I wanna read before, we're gonna get super, super practical here today. But I wanna read this, this quote um, from the book, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Good, good read. If you wanna read more on this, write that down. Celebration of Discipline. The Apostle Paul says, he who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Galatians 6 8. Paul's analogy is instructive. A farmer is helpless to grow grain. All he can do is provide the right conditions for the growing of grain. Makes sense, right? He cultivates the ground, he plants the seed, he waters the plant, and then the natural forces of the earth take over and up comes the grain. This is the way it is with the spiritual disciplines. They are a way of sowing to the Spirit. The disciplines are God's way of getting us into the ground. They put us where he can work within us and transform, transform us. By themselves, the spiritual disciplines can do nothing. They can only get us to the place where something can be done. They're God's means of grace. The inner righteousness we seek is not something that is poured on our heads, that God has ordained the disciplines of the spiritual life as the means by which we place ourselves where he can bless us. Over the next several weeks, we're gonna be looking specifically at some of these disciplines. We're gonna be looking primarily at the life of Jesus, but then also from the teaching and the instruction from the apostle Paul. Some of these things are, are things that Jesus, most of these things, th things that Jesus practiced. There's a few that he didn't, like confession. <laughs> Jesus didn't do a lot of confessing. But we need to, and it's a spiritual discipline. There are these different disciplines, these different actions, and we're gonna be looking at a variety of them over the next several weeks so that we can learn the practical. Listen, there is no we need to understand the foundation of all things. Your spiritual life, your relationship with God is first and foremost established and grounded in the fact that you are a son or a daughter of God Most High. That is where your identity lies. That is where your security is. That is where your value is found. It is not in practicing disciplines. It is not in performing for him. And yet God wants, is, God wants to do more things in me. And I'd be arrogant to think that I can just like intellectually ascend to the place that God wants me to go without disciplining this fleshly body. 
to surrender it to whatever God wants. Let's not separate our actual selves, the things we do, the bodies that we have, the lives that we live from this spiritual life, this this feel-good theoretical thing. We are a whole person. To love God with our heart and soul, our mind and our strength. And so I don't know about you, maybe you're just excelling in these and you're experiencing the full life of God on a regular and daily basis. I know there's some in here who are living that life now. I believe there's still more for you, but I believe there's a lot of us. A lot of us are like, man, God, I, I, I need more discipline if I were to be real honest. If I had to look at the crossroads of like your word and my reality and it's not where I want it to be, but okay, God, I'm looking. What are the ancient paths? What are the things that followers of Jesus have been doing for centuries, for millennia, that are going to lead me into the presence of God to experience the kingdom of God in the here and now? We're going to go on a journey together over the next several weeks. And I hope, you can just keep on coming to church and just learn and intellectually store it away if you want to, but I'm going to invite you into an experience of growing in the spiritual disciplines. Does that sound like an adventure to anybody else that want it, they want to take. Hey, this is what we're going to do. So we're going to, go, we're going to go super practical right here. We're going to go super practical right here. I want to first, I want to look at a handful. Now listen, when we talk about spiritual disciplines, the list is crazy. Read a whole bunch of people who are, who are, are, are well-versed in these and they're going to give different lists. They're going to give different categories. They're going to compartmentalize them in different ways. It's not really about perfecting this life. In fact, let me give you one more word picture. When I was in high school, I played football. And it was outlining Christian, not a really big school, so a lot of people played offense and defense. So you'd go to go to practice, and then part of practice would be defensive practice. And then they'd separate the defensive practice by the linemen would do these drills over here, then the linebackers would do these drills over here, then the defensive backs would do these drills over here. And then they'd switch to offensive practice, or maybe it'd be on a different day. And then you'd have your linemen over here, and then you'd have your uh, receivers over here, and then you'd have your... Um, your running backs over here, maybe your quarterbacks over here. Well, then you, so like everybody's playing multiple positions on offense and defense. And so every day, every single player is going, their practice experience is going to be different based on what their, the skill set they're trying to develop, right? So for me, I was a tight end, which means I was a, a, on the, the line, the offensive line. So I'd go to line practice days, but also a tight end as a receiver. So sometimes I'd practice the receiver. But so I had a different practice routine and schedule and drills than the linemen or the receivers. And another tight end might've been a linebacker and I was a defensive end. And so on those defense, so our practice routines are all going to be different. And that's how it is with the spiritual disciplines. We're not gonna say, everybody do all of these things this week. You will be overwhelmed you will inevitably fail because you don't have enough time in your day and you're going you're gonna to shrink back to nothing. Uh, I tried that, it didn't work, okay? For most of us, some of these things are going to be very, very new and different. So we're just going to, we're going to be talking about this for several weeks. I want us today to begin to prepare our hearts and minds to say, okay, what are some areas that I would like to take some next steps in? Okay, that's all we're doing. We're not mastering the Christian life tomorrow. We're just trying to identify some areas that we would like to take some next steps in. So 
in the, the seat back in front of you, if you're in your front row, there's a little card there. It says ancient paths on the top. You should be able to find that. I think there's every other seat. So if you've got a whole bunch of people in your row, so I want you to grab that, grab that. It looks like this. I want you to reach in front of you. I want everybody to grab one. And uh, if you need more, if there's a bunch of people in your row, they're only every other seat, raise your hand. And then we got some ushers that will bring you some more. But I want everybody to have one of these. This is what we're gonna do with them. Uh, on the top, you're gonna, in just a moment, you're gonna put a name on it. And then there's three different categories, strength, growth, and then new. Here's what this is all about. I'll, in a moment, not yet, in a moment, I'm gonna, we're gonna put um, a whole bunch of a list of some of the spiritual disciplines that we're gonna be talking about over the next several weeks. And I know we're not getting any information on these yet. We're just stating them on the screen. And so you may not fully be thinking the same thing that, I don't know, we'll teach on it later. But uh, I, I want you to, to begin to think, like, where, where do I wanna grow? One is, wh which one of these things, of all the things that we're about to list, which one is your strength? Maybe you don't feel super strong in all of them. Pick whichever you feel is the, the strongest, okay? The next one is growth. Pick one that you know is something that is a, is a challenge for you. Maybe something you've never practiced, but you're like, that doesn't look sound easy or at, at all for me. And there's something I, I could probably grow in. And then that last one is new. I want you to pick of, of this list. I would imagine there's probably some of them that you've never actually engaged in. Or maybe some of them, some of them are gonna be real practical and you've never engaged in this activity from the perspective of a spiritual uh, discipline. So I want you to, just three, and I'm not telling you you got to master these yet, but one that you'd call strength, one is an area that you'd maybe like to grow, and three, uh, new, one that is, is, is something that maybe you've got some interest in that you'd like to learn more about or maybe even practice or try. And then before, not before you go, but then some point today or this week, I'd love you to do this. I want you to share this. We're gonna take some time to, to do this in it. I want you to share this with somebody who's going to sign this and see what you put and gonna help you help ask about how are we, are you doing in those things? So I wanna put the screen up and talk about them real quick, real briefly here. Um, we've got them in categories here on, on the left side. And again, these are arbitrary, okay? So don't, personal disciplines, prayer, Meditation, and again, we're not talking about like new agey kind of meditation. We're talking about the meditation they talk about in the Bible all the time. Uh, and study, kind of our retreat disciplines like rest and Sabbath and celebration. Our active uh, spiritual disciplines like work and exercise. Exercise is one that maybe you don't think of as a spiritual discipline, but we're gonna explore that later. I believe it really is. Community uh, disciplines, fellowship, conversation, confession, um, quiet, Discipline, silence and solitude, abstaining discipline, fasting and abstinence. I'll clarify on that one too. I know typically we hear the word abstinence and we think of it in a sexual connotation. Um, we have today used the word fasting to cover way more than a biblical or traditional. Here, I'll get out the way. Some of you guys want to take a picture of that. Uh, we say I'm fasting from social media. Technically, that's not actually fasting. There's spiritual value in that, in abstaining for something for a season for the sake of working on my own spiritual development. But I wanted to, to make a little bit of a clarification that fasting means you don't eat. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're gonna talk a little bit about that when we get there. So the abstinence thing, that's about uh, for a season, abstaining from a certain activity or practice or thing in your life. So those are the ones I'm gonna give like two minutes Terry's just gonna play, maybe one minute. Terry's gonna play on the keyboard, but I, I wanna make sure that we actually have time to do this. Like, otherwise you're gonna stick this in the Bible, forget about it, and you're gonna come back next week and be like, oh yeah, I forgot to do that. All right, so we got one minute. I want you to look at them, 
think about it. And maybe you're genuinely giving this some thought and you want to take it home to your quiet time to later today or tomorrow or later this week. And you want to give it more thought about it. Maybe scribble down some thoughts on there. Uh, but if you're going to do it, then you can do that later. All right. So take one minute to kind of process through that. All right. Maybe some of you need some more time than that. It was quite possible. We just sprung this here, but I wanted to make sure we established this isn't just we're, we're moving into legalism. This is we're training so that every time you step up to the plate, you're ready. Not because we're mimicking Jesus's moments, but because we're living his lifestyle. So let me go back to our opening illustration. Is living for Jesus a hobby or a lifestyle for you? Is it something you do on the weekends? Or are you ready to say, no, no, God, I, wanna, I want my life 24-7 to be lived like you lived. To be, we talk about being conformed into your image, and sometimes I think we think that's just like some mental practice. God, take my body, my time, my everything, and work in me what you want to see in me because I want to walk your path the good way and find rest for my soul. God, we thank you for the, for the direction that you give. And Lord, I'm just going to, for the sake of all of us, God, I just want to say, I'm sorry for so often treating clear instruction as theoretical philosophy. God, you, you, you've taught us what your way is. God, help us to walk in it. Lord, this week I pray for my friends who are, who are gonna be beginning to, to set some goals on, on, on these areas to grow in. Lord, would you guide us and lead us to taking next steps that we would truly, body, mind, soul, spirit, be conformed into your likeness every day. Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to this audio from Crossroads Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Crossroads, please visit lincolncrossroads.com.